Welcome to Lexis Non Scripta, a podcast about unwritten vocabulary. My name is Kristen Lee, and I am a writer in conversation with writers and artists of all disciplines about the materials they use to create their art. My guest today is Connie Pertuz Meza, a Colombian American writer inspired to pen pieces about her life, family, and ancestors. A New York City public school educator, mother of two teenagers, daughter of a mother who taught herself to read with a Bible, and a journalist father. Connie's writing appeared in The Rumpus, Quelly Literary Journal, Lunch Ticket, Women Who Roar, Her Story Blog, Raising Mothers, Dreamers Creative Writing, Voices in the Middle, The Ascentos Review, Mother, and several anthologies. Connie is a three-time Vona alum, Tin House participant, working on a semi-autobiographical YA novel, and staff writer for Hispanicdotes and guest writer for Epiphania magazine. Hi, Connie. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well also. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, I always enjoy having conversation with um, other writers. Me too. So much. So much. So did you bring us a word or a concept or what are your thoughts that you wanted to share with us today? Well, my word is magic. Um, I think um, magic means a lot. Uh, The reason I chose magic is for a couple of reasons. Um, One, um, my parents' home country um, of Colombia, they say it was the birthplace of um, magic realism by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, I always liked that. I always felt like Colombia was very magical. I also, in the last couple of years, I've been embracing my own magic and what I call my own inner bruja, um, which is just learning to listen to my own intuition, my internal wisdom, cultivating that in myself, as well as modeling that for both my children. Uh, I never, it, it never dawned on me that I had my own compass that I could follow, that I didn't need to constantly look outside myself. This is a very new concept for me. And I do believe in magic. I think there's magic every day. There's signs. Um, We have to be willing to ask for it. We have to be willing to surrender. So yeah, magic. I believe in magic too. Thank you so much for bringing this concept, this word and this concept to the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. Can you give us um, some of the examples or some of the strategies that you have found have helped you develop your intuition or how do you know what your body is telling you or what are the signs that come to you to help you navigate your day and your life? I think things started to really open up and change for me once I developed a serious meditation practice. And I was curious about three years ago, I went to a workshop and they, using mala beads, they taught us to meditate. Thought it was really cool. Um, I was a little scared. I, I grew up 
in a very um, Catholic home, a devout mother, went to Catholic school, K to 12. Anything that didn't involve a crucifix, rosary beads, and a lot of feelings of guilt didn't felt bad, uh, scary. There's um, the word magic in, in, in my home, it was seen as something as bad, something from the other side. It was the antithesis of the Holy Spirit, right? So I, I, I left there intrigued, but definitely um, with my guard up. I saw a 21-day meditation with uh, Deepak Chopra, and I took, I took it. And I didn't do the full 21 days, but I ended up doing, I didn't do them consecutively, but I did do them. And I uh, found them to be really powerful. And after a few months of on and off meditation, I slowly began um, using body scanning. Um, that felt less scary and I was less resistant. And I would wake up every morning and just scan my body to see how it uh, felt. And that was a tool I used to help me with my anxiety. It was something my therapist introduced me to. She is, um, she uses a lot of somatic practices in, in her treatment. And slowly but surely, I began to meditate. At first I was only doing guided meditation, a lot of stuff with Deepak Chopra. And then I started doing things, um, the love and kindness meditation, meta meditation. And it was this summer, no, maybe the spring, right around the start of the pandemic that I started to do uh, just silent meditation. I would, I would see, I would um, sit in, in, you know, Sukhasana and seated um, easy seat. And I would just kind of mind watch, let my mind wander and just kind of like, jump through the files that are in there. And um, it was the first time I remember that relationship with my mind, because that's what I used to do as a kid. And then, and I would still do some of that as a teenager, but it was definitely lost to me. And one of the ways that I coped um, with a traumatic childhood was to be, I, I label it the manager, just look at me, I can handle anything took a lot of solace in school and overachieving and excelling, needed that validation from outside myself instead of from within. That in itself can be quite a hamster wheel. Like I know we like academics and academia is often praised, but it can, it could be a, a hamster wheel. So I still love school. I still love academics. Um, but there's more of a, a healthy detachment from it. So yeah, I would say meditation, yoga practice definitely helped me um, develop my intuition and my seeing that we're all magical, right? Mm -hmm. And there's connection between every one of us. So I find it so interesting that you talk about two different, very powerful institution structures that are based on hierarchy. The first being, of course, the Catholic Church. I grew up in a very Catholic family and 
went to Catholic, Catholic school as a young person in elementary and middle school as well. So we share that in common. And I understand what you're saying when um, just the idea of magic alone, how that really uh, contradicts the teachings of the Catholic church and it <laughs> seems like a threat. Um, so you have this one institution and then you moved out of that space and into the academic world, which is another institution that's very hierarchical that is also in a lot of ways, very patriarchal. And even though these are two places that you were able to find that you were able to excel and to grow and to learn, it sounds like you really did not develop your own inner strength and sense of power until you moved inward and in, into yourself mm -hmm. and moved out of these, um, these social constructs of religion and learning and then took your power back moved inward, found your own inner knowledge and your own relationship with a spiritual plane mm -hmm. through magic. And I'm wondering if you found it challenging to kind of reconcile your individual, your sense of agency with what you had been taught to believe for your whole life. Is that a challenge for you? It still is a challenge. Yeah. I still have um, moments. I mean, I, I, it's, there's so much conditioning that happens with religion. Um, there's, so there's that piece of what it did to me um, as Connie, a young child and the fear of, and putting, you know, creating that dichotomy of good and bad of hell and heaven, that original sin idea. But then when I got older, I was really angry at Christianity because of what it stripped from my roots. Colombians are um, people of the land, uh, my, my ancestry. I was, I was never taught to pray to my ancestors. I was never um, taught to to even to consider looking at the answers from within. It was always looking outside myself, um, pray to God, ask, create, do petitions. Perhaps, you know, if I, if I was, if I showed enough um, surrender, right? And, you know, benevolency would be bestowed upon me. Um, so th there was definitely a lot of, of, of anger around the colonization um, of people of Colombia and how certain things, remedies and herbs um, that that are familiar were stripped. Uh, I remember the first time I, I burned incense in my home, how upset my mother was. Much later um, as a mom and uh, married and in my own home, she was uh, very upset with me when she saw a statue of the Buddha on my bookshelf. Why would you have that here? Um, I, I'm certain if she knew that I um, study and read the sutras, she would be very upset about that. But I, it's funny, the more, once I started like thinking about and studying other religions, I became, I saw such, a deep love that I had for, for Jesus, um, an appreciation 
but it was once I, I, I was able to step outside and it, I kind of just, I guess the, the veil of fear was lifted. So that is really fascinating to me. Like you had to turn inward to find your own personal connection to a divinity and then you could unlock what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus for Catholics. You really, you needed to do this for yourself to, to gain this clarity. I'm wondering if this, uh, having this clarity and recovering your sense of spirituality coming from within, how has this affected your writing and any other art making that you do? Well, I think that um, once there is like a sense of overall sense of clarity and um, a sense of calm, physical calm as well as mental, I think you become more of an open vessel for um, creativity and ideas to flow. I mean, once you start seeing like the magic of the universe, it's everything seems possible. So the possibility that my stories matter, my, I can write a book that I, it's like, it helps me get out of my own way. I mean, it's, that's a practice. I still have to practice that. I mean, I still, um, you know, struggle with like imposter syndrome. I think that, that that's part of patriarchy. That's part of white supremacy. That is part of, of it. But just having that awareness has, has helped. I think knowing that like to put magic in my writing is not so unfounded because I find, like I told you, I find magic in my everyday. Like there's always like these, I like to call them like little winks um, from the universe or um, little surprises. And there, and once you meditate, you start, there's synchronicity starts to happen in your life and your intuition does sharpen. For me, some people have dreams um, for me, it's more of, it's an intuition, it's, it's a feeling, it's a knowing, it's a sense. And sometimes it comes in my body where it's just like, um, there's anxiety and I can't explain it. And then within an hour or a few hours, something happens that explains that anxiety. Or it could be if I think of someone repeatedly and repeatedly, there, there's something that I, that person is in some either needs to speak to me or there's, they're in some type of anguish. I've just learned to listen to those signs. I've just, I've learned not to question it. I still call myself a baby meditator. I'm still in my infancy, maybe toddler. I haven't been meditating that long, but I do know that it, that it gets stronger with the practice of it. It's free. I wish, I wish everyone would do it. I, I, it, it has helped me in all aspects of my life so absolutely it's helped me as a writer and I and I think a lot of artists are have that that witchiness that bruja and that it's just it's because you to be a writer to be an artist you're constantly playing in your imagination you're inside your imagination so what brings me some balance is like my yoga practice because since since I was a child I live here so much mm -hmm. I need to ground myself in my body um the yoga poses do, does that. And recently I, I, I got my Reiki one training, which helps me um, with my, my power, the power that's in with, within all of us. Creativity is, it certainly could be thought of as a form 
of a religion. I do think of it as a form of spirituality. Um, the act of creating itself is, it's the origin story of everything, you know, and to be a writer is to create. But I love what you say about having to come out of your head and down into your body and feel grounded and how that's such a big part of developing your power and strengthening your skills and really connecting your mind and your body with your breath. And this is how you are able to practice magic in many, many ways. Do you want to talk to us about your work with Vona? Yes. So speaking about ma- speaking of magic, mm-hmm. um, I always described Vona as a magical experience. So first, um, Vona is the only multi-genre writers of color, uh, faculty of color um, week-long workshop in the nation. It was created by several um, artists, uh, Juno Diaz, um, DM Jones, um, Elmaz, Albinator, and while Juno is no longer part of the organization, um, one of the one actually um, the founders are no longer a part of it. Um, they're, they're, the reason that Vona was created is that they felt that MFA programs were too white. Um, writers of color often felt um, not seen. Um, felt they were encouraged to write to the white gaze. They were constantly being asked to explain their writing and at times defend their writing. Um, Many writers of color, um, even now, have described their MFA program as uh, traumatic. So in an effort to create a safe space, Vona came in 1999 to nurture writers of color. I call it, uh, I've always referred to it as the Motown for writers of color. Some of the best um, contemporary writers of color have come out of Vona. And when I went for the first time in 2015, I didn't know what it was. I just applied on a whim and my writing group, um, which I'm still part of, encouraged me and said, absolutely. Needing, I, I didn't realize how much I needed that safe space to, to flourish with, to flourish as not just as a writer, but as a person, because, you know, as a writer, you are the instrument, right? And I remember thinking, if I could do this once a year, this feeling um, that later I would discover that it was just presence. I was so pres- present during that week there. I was just like, what is this? I, I feel so happy. I was skipping. I was smiling. I, I just felt like home. It felt like home. Um, I was just like, I just need to do this once a year and I'll be okay. Not knowing that you can be present at all times. But it was like, the, it, was like it was like my first push into the magic of being with writers and the safety that a community of writers of color provided me and knowing that my stories, my story mattered and that I needed to create characters that did not apologize. I did not, I, that was the first time I was told that I didn't have to italicize Spanish. And that was mind blowing. I was just like, I don't have to italicize the Spanish in my writing. I don't have to overly explain and I mean, that concept alone to, give, be, to be given that permission was 
he was huge. I later went in 2017 and Bonham was also responsible in exposing me to um, ideas about my ancestors, um, my roots. Um, it was the first time I took part in a collective um, sound healing. It was in 2017. They needed us to just get deep into meditation and get into that creative space. We did a lot of work around the, the throat chakra to, to release these stories. Uh, didn't really know what was happening, but really liked what I was feeling. Felt good. My third time at Vona, we, we did a restorative uh, justice circle. And um, every time I go to Vona, I'm just always blown away by what I, I've learned. Um, I was asked in the fall to be a board member. I couldn't believe they wanted little old me. I was shocked. <laughs> I'm not I was surprised. Like, You're so dynamic. I mean, of course they'd want you. I was just like, why? why I was just like, they were like, well, you have so much experience. You love Vona. You're excited. You only have... And that summer they asked me, it was virtual, but they asked me to MC an open mic. And then they asked me in the fall to be part of it. And I interviewed and became, and I had my first board member meeting in January. And there's just great things coming um, Vona's way. Um, I'm excited to, for it to continue for another, forever really, but for another 20 years, I want to be, one of the writers that changes the canon and I want to help lead that revolution and Bona leads me there and it's, it's just representation matters like I wonder if little Connie had picked up a book where there was a girl a young girl who lived in the hood and you know had this grew up in this chaotic home but that also mirrored her neighborhood I know that that would have been very comforting to me. And I, and I wonder if I had that, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have taken this long to realize my own power because I would have seen it in the pages, mm -hmm. a girl that looked like me. Mm -hmm. And as an educator, Vona kind of gave me permission to bring diverse books into my classroom before that was a thing, before that was trendy. I was talking, I came into my school talking about race and equity before it was a thing and diverse books. And um, I, I still like to say my classroom library is one of the most diverse classroom libraries. I, I curate it with the students involved in it, in mind. And each year my library just keeps growing and growing. Thank you for that. On behalf of all parents, I mean, this is, it's so needed. It's, you know, as you said, for children to be able to see themselves in the what they're reading and what they're watching, it's a validating thing and it's an uplifting thing. Um, kids really need access to a diverse library and it needs to be part of the teaching curriculum as well. Not just here, help yourself read one of these books, but let's read these books together. You know, this is really critical. Um, how can somebody get involved in Vona? So this is a, an organization that is for Black, Indigenous, people of color, writers only. Is it only writers or other yes. art disciplines? Um, writers, we have every genre you can imagine, poetry, mm -hmm. speculative, young adult, graphic novel, playwriting, screenwriting, you name it, it's, we have it. Uh, it is for writers of color. The faculty, we have some of the best faculty out there. Um, just to name a few, Reina Grande, 
um, Tari Jones um, was Bona alum and is now faculty. We have Roxanne Gay. Uh, oh my goodness, all these names are escaping me. Casey Lehman, on and on the list goes. Awesome. And so people can just go to the website. You can, we just, we have a brand new fresh website. It's amazing. Um, Evelina Galan um, is one of my, my teacher as well as um, she was my two-time fiction teacher there and she is the president of Vona and um, it's connected to uh, well this this summer we will be having Vona virtual mm-hmm. um, but in the past it's been um, in the recent past it's been at Miami University the University of Miami that's really, that sounds so terrific. Um, I'll definitely include a link to Vona um, in the notes of the podcast so that people can check that out and um, see how they can get involved. And um, I am wondering if you have any reading recommendations for our listeners, if you have a couple of writers that you really enjoy or who influence you, I would love to have you share some, okay. some of those. So things. right now, for my students, I am obsessed with and reading um, Front Desk, which is a middle grade novel, and it's by Kelly Yang, OMG. Um, loving it. I also am reading Francisco Stork's um, second book to, it's called Illegal. It's amazing. Francisco Stork is a Mexican writer. He is also my writing mentor. His novel is amazing. It really talks about... Uh, the immigration issue and the human trafficking of young girls in Mexico, the detention centers here in the United States, and the um, immigrant experience of being undocumented. Um, He was very purposeful in choosing the word illegal as his title. I also just finished this amazing book. I'm actually going to be studying with her. She is Vona alum too. Um, She was one of the earlier, we call them the OGs of Vona. Jennifer De Leon, don't ask me where I'm from. And it's about the, a young 15 year old um, um, Central American girl who is dealing with her father's deportation while attending a fancy prep school on the other side of Boston. Um, that was a fun, fast read. And I also am a huge fan of, big fan of Casey Lehman. I loved his memoir, Heavy. I'm about to sink my teeth into the memoir by Reina Grande. She, I also, I also have my students read her. She has a junior novel. Her memoir called The Distance Between Us, amazing, loved it. And I read two really good books, um, Fiebre Tropical, which was um, by Feminist Press. And it's, um, it was written in Spanglish, amazing, a Colombian writer. And let's see, so that's Fiebre Tropical. And another, another recent favorite book of mine was The Fruit of the Drunken Tree by Ingrid Contrera Rojas, also Vona alum. So some some great. I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna kick myself in the shins once I get off because I'm gonna I've forgotten a bunch of people to name and a, I can't speak high enough of those books. I am I'm in love. My students are in love with 
Kelly Yang's Front Desk. That's such a, it's such a great book and it talks about the, the Chinese immigration experience as told through the main character, Mia, Mia Tang. And it's set in the 90s. <laughs> This is, yeah, these are excellent. I'm really excited to share these with everyone and get into them myself. And um, I'm wondering if you could let us know what age group your students are in. What grade do you So my, yeah, my, I teach fifth grade. Okay. Um, my students are 10 to 11. Mm -hmm. I um, have my license to teach high school English, seventh through 12th grade. Um, I'm actually part of a design team to hopefully start a school of mindful inquiry from sixth through 12th grade. So yeah, I'm excited about that. We were really doing, we had a nice pace there before good old COVID. Oh boy. <laughs> so that, that's exciting. Um, and my role there is to talk about uh, diverse classroom libraries, the importance of personal narrative as, a, as not just a tool for an ELA tool, like an ELA measuring, but it was also as a tool for um, finding your um, inner wisdom, your voice. So, yep. Well, the School of Mindfulness Inquiry, uh, hopefully that will come together. Um, that just sounds like an incredible experience and much needed for young people developing their critical thinking skills, their mindfulness skills, all of that fully enriches your life in so many ways. It's not just an academic undertaking. Um, so good luck with that. Please let us know. It opens your minds. It's like you, 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 a lot of that stripping, that conditioning starts to strip, begin to question. Which is what we need, right? Because this, okay question. those are the things that really prevent us from feeling connected with each other and being able to learn from each other and being willing to help one another, which is something that we really have to do as a society. That's, that is something that's much needed and hopefully things are changing and we're finding ways to connect and come together and be more open to learning about each other's experiences and the last thing I want to ask is um, if any of our listeners wants to get in touch with you where might they be able to find you um I am not on social media okay but you I do have a twitter handle that I use and I can send to you because off the top of my head I don't know it okay. and I actually um my husband just brought my domain name um so I wanted to start my own connieprotusmesa.com and I'm working on that that's in the that's in the works okay so yeah definitely send me your twitter handle and we'll get that up there and we'll wait for your website well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we wrapped up, wrap up today? Oh, I'm good. I'm just, thank you so much for having me here. I Not appreciate good. it. Yeah, this is great. I'm just so happy to be sharing space with you, um, both online writing at the resort and in the conversations here that we've had. Um, I think that you are right. There is magic in all of us and we should really allow ourselves to access that. And so thank you for sharing some of the skills that help you access your own magic so that you can keep creating and thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Connie. All of the titles that she mentioned are in our bookshop affiliate link, which you'll find in the link tree bio. 
Um, and I invite you to follow us on Instagram at Lexis Nonscripta so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks so much, and a special thank you to JLSOL for the intro music. Take care. <laughs>